and then we looked at each of their roles according to the Bible. And so each of them had so much value to God, just as both men and women both still have value to God today. And uh, husbands and wives still have value to God today. And so as we wrap this up, we're, we're starting by looking at, at that first wedding. Uh, God is the father, and he gave the bride, Eve, to the groom, Adam. Right? Kind of like how we still do it. You got the father giving away the bride to the groom. And God is the father giving away that bride, Eve, to Adam, the groom. And, and God was the one who witnessed the couple's interaction in the garden. And in the creation of Eve and giving Eve to Adam as his wife, it set the standard for future human marriages. And we see that in Genesis chapter 2, verse 22. It says, Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, This is bone from my bone, flesh from my flesh. She'll be called woman because she was taken from man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united into one, become one flesh. Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. Important there, because we've already looked at the marriage portion of this passage. But now we're looking at the portion later where it talks, okay, now it's saying, well, they, they were naked and they felt no shame. The two become one flesh, bride takes on the groom's name, and they become one in body. And the man is to leave his father and mother. Notice that Scripture tells us that there is nakedness here with no shame. Well, prior to the fall, nakedness reflected it, it, it reflected innocence and trust. But after the fall, nakedness now denotes vulnerability and shame. Sin changed everything there. Disobedience changed everything. Biblically, shame is more than embarrassment. It points to exploitation. It points to humiliation. That's why Adam and Eve hid from God. Immediately after they sinned, they sensed, they felt their nakedness, and so they hid. Scripture tells us the woman was convinced. She saw the tree was beautiful. Its fruit looked delicious. She wanted wisdom, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband, who was with her. He ate it, too. And so whose fault was it? Both of them. Then she gave some to her husband. He ate it. At that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly, suddenly, they didn't, they were naked already. But now suddenly, they're naked still. Nothing changed with their nakedness. But suddenly, after that, they felt shame for their nakedness. So what they do? They said, well... We got to do something about it. We're going to sew fig leaves together, and we're going to cover our nakedness. And so they sewed fig leaves together. They tried to fix some things themselves, which is often what we do when sin gets in our lives. Instead of bringing it to God, we hide from God, and we try to correct what we did ourselves. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. We're looking at in the beginning, we're looking at how God's original plan was, not just how things end up. They end up, the prophecy, that's the most more popular. If we were doing a prophecy conference tonight, this place would be packed out from the community because we're more interested about prophetic, how it's going to end. But I want to look at this beginning because 
I believe that there is, if God created it that way, he didn't mess up the first time around. So I think we can find a lot of information at how he made things in the first place. And notice, he did not work with a high priest. He did not, he did not, even, he did not even work through his spirit. He literally was walking among them in the garden. What an incredible relationship that he would just walk around the garden and talk to them. And so it says, they heard him walking. You ever try to sneak up on somebody? Maybe you're playing a game, trying to sneak up on one of your kids or whatever. Or maybe you're nice and I'm just a mean parent. And you, <laughs> you, you, you know, you, you hear somebody kind of sneaking up and, you, 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 and the floor creaks or the twig snaps. And, and you just turn around, you know, like they heard God walking. That's incredible. And so what'd they do? Well, in the past, they would have... Hey, God, nice to see you. Let's converse. But now they hid. Why? Because that's what sin does. Now there's shame. We're naked. We just tried to cover, cover with fig leaves. And oh, no, I heard God. Did you hear God? I heard God. Run. Let's hide. But look at what God does in response to this. When he looks at their nakedness, he says, who told you you were naked? And he finds out about their sin. And look at what he does immediately after discussing that fall and that sin and that disobedience. Genesis 3.21, the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. So here we read about the first bloodshed in Scripture. And what was the purpose for the first bloodshed? For a covering. Not just a covering atoning of sins, but a literal covering for the body. So when people say, and I hear this a lot, God doesn't care what you wear. God doesn't care how you dress. God looks on the inside. You are absolutely right. God looks on the inside. But if God didn't care how you dressed then why does he make such a huge deal about it and make it a point to tell us about it? God absolutely cares how we dress. There are only two things that I can distinctly see in Scripture that God made. Oh, yeah, he planted a garden. He spoke things into existence. But two things in the Bible that I see God make with his own hands. Man... And clothes for man. So don't tell me that God doesn't care how we dress. Because it is a creation principle. I've used that term throughout this series. Something that we can look back to the beginning of time and say, look at the way he did it initially. So we can see certain things that he doesn't change those things. He, he instituted the, 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 created the institution of marriage. And so... Society can try to change the definition of what marriage is, but we see a creation principle of how God defined marriage and procreation. And this is how he, he says, what you wear matters enough to me that that's not an adequate covering, so I'm going to personally make you clothes from the skins of animals. Now, if you've never sat in our Now What Discipleship course, we spend a whole lesson 
just on what Scripture says about this, about covering. God actually gives guidelines for apparel and different things like that. And so if you've never completed that course, I strongly suggest that you see me or see a guest relations staff, and we'll get you connected with that because it is an incredible course that talks about biblically what, what these things say. And so uh, we looked at some of this in week one where God said in Deuteronomy 22, 5, he says, a woman must not put on men's clothing and a man must not wear women's clothing. Anyone who does this is detestable in the sight of the Lord your God. Wow. Again, since the beginning of time, it wasn't even necessarily about, oh, shop from the ladies' section and the men's section, and then you go to Macy's. I mean, like, it's not that, okay, which if there's even Macy's left, everybody shops online these days. But, but I, I still remember when online shopping first came out, my dad was like, don't ever shop online. Your credit card will get stolen. And I mean, I know it still happens, but man, look at today. Crazy. Malls are just ghost towns now. Um, but since the beginning of time, God has always called for this. Very, very clearly. Gender distinction. If you could say, what's Deuteronomy 22.5 about? If I had to just give you like a succinct answer, my answer would be gender distinction. And isn't it interesting that the devil in the beginning of time said, oh, God said this. We're about to look at that. God said this. <laughs> That's not a big deal. And he starts with the temptation. And you go to 2021, and the devil is still saying, God said this. That's not that big of a deal. Because today, there's literally a fight just to maintain a gender. That gender, you can choose gender, and different genders can uh, go into sports against other genders. I mean, we're, we're a mixed-up society, and, and, and that's because you look back here, and, and God says a woman needs to wear what's a woman's, and a man needs to wear what's a man's. He doesn't have to deal with, and we shouldn't let kids choose their gender, because that alone, he, he makes it clear here when he says, I'm not even talking about that. That's, that's so far above and beyond. I'm saying that even your clothing, even your clothing should not be aligned with the opposite gender. You should have gender-appropriate clothing that states that I'm this gender and you're that gender. This is a creation principle. We see this in the beginning of the Bible. And so, after the fall, when we see God make clothes for humankind from animal skins, we can absolutely make an argument that another creation principle is one of modesty. Because back then, a, a fig leaf, I should have thought to put a picture up there, it would have been like yay big. If you ever saw a picture or a film of the old Tarzan, that probably would have been kind of accurate to what a fig leaf would have covered. And now most people would say, well, that's not modest. But there's some in our world that says, no, it's my body and I can show what I want and it's freedom. And, and I can, but that's not the plan of God. You live in a free country. You can show whatever you like to an extent. You might get kicked out of some places if you show too much. But he says that that covering that you just tried to do by your own hands, it's not good enough. It's not 
modest. It's not covering enough. I'm going to make coats of animal skins. And so the reason he's so concerned with modesty and covering is because it covers shame and nakedness that came because of what? Well, Scripture says all that's in the world is lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. We see all three of those temptations in Eve in the garden. When the, he says, look, it looks good to the eyes. I want it. It'll make you wise. We see lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. So first, John talks about the New Testament, but it, it was revealed way back in the book of Genesis when the devil appears to Adam and Eve and te tempts them with lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And the devil fell from heaven because he wanted to be like God. So really, he experienced these lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. So now he's going to try and get them to experience that. And to this day, all that's in the world still falls under those categories, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Now, since that day, he's been trying to twist the word of God and get humanity to join him doing the opposite of what God's plan is. You look even at the story of the demon-possessed man in the New Testament, Luke 8, 26. They arrived in the, in the region and, uh, of Gerasenes and, uh, and across the lake from Galilee as Jesus was climbing out of the boat. A man who was possessed by demons came out to meet him. For a long time, he had been homeless and naked. Adam and Eve were naked also and they tried to cover themselves. God says, not enough. I still want more covering. So here this demon-possessed man is naked, living in the tombs outside the town. But Jesus heals him. And Luke goes on to, to tell us about this man after he's healed. And Luke says, people rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus. They saw the man who had been freed from demons. This is that guy. And they saw him. Where was he? He was sitting at Jesus' feet. And then Luke gives us this random detail. Oh, he was fully clothed. He doesn't just say, this is a demon-possessed guy that God healed. He's like, no, Jesus healed this guy. This guy was naked, homeless, living among the tombs. Oh, but then God, he, he healed him. He's free from demons, and look where he's at now. He's not just at the feet of Jesus. He's fully clothed. Because the spirit of the devil, the world, is always wanting to reveal more of the sacred temple of God that's supposed to be sacred and holy. But as you grow in your relationship with God and get closer to him and get close to his feet, there's more of a covering a modesty that says, I'm not looking to get attention from this world by revealing more and more parts of my body, but I want to have a covering. As I get closer to Jesus, I believe in modesty and covering. It's a creation principle. And sin shifted the climate of what was innocent and what was shameful. After the fall, God now called for modesty and covering for his people. Now, showing skin today is extremely sexual. Although sexuality was created before sin, it did not emerge unscathed until after human rebellion, or, or I'm, I, I'm sorry, it didn't emerge unscathed from human rebellion. Sexuality is a powerful force that is easily corrupted 
if it's not carefully channeled. And I use this all the time, and I'll say it again. It would be like if you're sitting at home and you're having, I just talked about fireplaces on Sunday. I'm going to talk about fireplaces again. If you're sitting at home and you're having a fire in the fireplace, you're relaxing as a family, enjoying the evening. I love a fire in the fireplace, crackling the smell, the warmth. But if you took the exact same fire and put it on the living room floor, now you have a major issue. It's actually the same thing with sexuality. Sexuality is a beautiful thing that God blessed humanity with when it's in the fireplace. Take it out of the fireplace, and we have a fire that's going to burn everything down. And that's going to happen in life if we're not careful. 1 Thessalonians warns us about this, 4.3. God's will is for you to be holy, so stay away from all sexual sin. Well, what does that mean? All of it. Well, how do we know what sexual things are good sexual things? Well, we look back to Genesis. God gave a husband and a wife together, and they came together and were one in mind and body, and that is it. So any sexual fulfillment outside of a marriage, anything at all, images, people, anything, is sin. And so, he says, then each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honor, not in lustful passion like the pagans who do not know God and his ways. Never harm or cheat a fellow believer in matter by violating his wife, for the Lord avenges all, all such sins, as we have solemnly warned you before. God has called us to live holy lives, not impure lives. Therefore, anyone who refuses to live by these rules is not disobeying human teaching. You're not disobeying the rules of Refuge Church. You're rejecting God who gives his spirit to you. So when I choose to live in a way that is directly contradictory to what his plan is, I am rejecting God. It has nothing to do with the rules of the church or anything like that. I mean, it does. But first and foremost, it's the ultimate rule. And that's God's rule. Sexual sin, though, is rampant in our, rule to, in our world today. Isn't it interesting that God sets parameters and we see sexual sin taking over? God talks about gender. Now we're seeing a battle for gender identity. Like, this is, this is not a coincidence here, folks. We're living in a world that is countercultural to the scripture. So God's people should be living countercultural to the world. It's very simple. In, in theory, but it's very difficult to live out sometimes, is it not? And so if you read this message to some, they would argue, well, that is so restricting. It just sounds restricting, that type of life that you lead and live. Instead, our world is saying, you know, you need to teach your children, embrace sexuality, and have freedom without limits to experiment. This is what's being pushed into our children. And really, this is a similar approach that the devil takes when he shows up in Genesis 3. The serpent was the shrewdest of all wild animals the Lord had made. Did Adam know that? Was Adam not the one who named all the animals? Was Adam not the one who was given dominion over all the animals? How many of you have a dog? How many of you could tell me what some of your nuances are with your dog? It makes noise. It runs out when people, oh, oh what, uh, he always does that. She tends to do that when she's scared. We, like, do you not know your animal? 
Adam named the animals, he's the one who gave it the name snake. Did Adam not know that the serpent was the shrewdest of animals? One day he asked the woman, did God really, this is the devil, I still hear his voice in my head like that. Did God really say, King James, hath God said, every sin starts with hath God said, meaning what, is, is what he's saying really that big of a deal? Is modesty really that big of a deal? Is gender really that big of a deal? Is, is, is sexual parameters and safety and, and holy and pure life, is that really that big of a deal? Hath God said that you can't eat of the trees of the fruit of the garden? And Of course, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it, which he never said that part. If you do, you'll die. You won't die, the serpent says. God knows your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. What's he going after? The pride of life. The woman was convinced. She saw it was beautiful. What's that? Lust of the eyes. And it looked delicious. Lust of the flesh. She took some of the fruit, ate, gave it to her husband, and he ate it too. And it's, you know, the, the, the devil starts by planting doubt in her mind. Doubt about the word of God. Doubt about the consequences that come with the word of God. And we see all that's in the world, lust of the flesh. I want it. Lust of the eyes, it looks good. Pride of life, I'm above the commands that God has given me. I can do this and keep going in the same vein that I've been going in because, you know, he's a God of grace and I, I, I know what to do. Really. And I'm talking about sexuality, which makes some people uncomfortable. It certainly doesn't make me uncomfortable. It's, it's in the scripture. And we still see this in sexuality, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. I want it, it looks good, and nothing will happen to me. You know what happens? Marriages fail. Ministries end. Kids grow up in broken homes. Sexually transmitted diseases. Emotional brokenness, hurt, pain, distraction. Because somewhere, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. I want it. It looks good. Nothing's going to happen to me. And if you think that, well, I've been married for this many years, and I'm in church, and I hold a ministry position. <sighs> happened to Solomon. Happened to Samson. Happened to David. So before I say, oh, it never happened to me. It's really arrogant because I'm saying I'm the better man than David, I'm stronger than Samson, and I'm smarter than Solomon. And I'm not probably either, any of those three. So I need to set up safeguards that says, mm, I'm probably not going to stand next to the tree and converse with the devil about how nice the fruit looks. 
probably not going to have meetings alone with females in my office when no one else is in the building. It's never going to happen. Why? Because if I hang around the tree and look at the fruit long enough, you tend to do stupid things. I'm in the vein of the spirit right now because there's nothing that the enemy wants more than to absolutely destroy your home. Because strong churches are built on strong families. If the family unit's not strong, church ain't strong. You can look strong. We have all these services and prayer meetings. You ain't strong. We ain't strong. If the family unit is not strong, we are not strong. So, do what you need to do. Get in counseling. Work on your marriage. Don't work on everything else. All your certifications and all these different things. And let your marriage go. Be holy, pure, separated, sanctified, countercultural. Fight for your marriage. The moment Eve entertained this conversation with the serpent, Adam joined in, participated too, and it forever changed the outlook of humankind. Sin starts off small. It starts off with just one bite. It starts off with just one text message. I really did not intend to talk about sexual things this long, but it's real. It starts off with one text. People don't go from, hey, my name is Gary, to you waking up in someone's bed. It starts off with, I've just been looking at this fruit, and it's good. No, no, no. Don't give the number. Don't text. Don't respond to the text. Don't even open that door. If you can, there, you, don't, you, don't, you don't hang around the tree that God said to not eat from. It's never just about one bite. It's about walking away from covenant. God says, I give you everything. Don't eat from that. But that's the thing that's, oh, it's intriguing to me. No, get away from that because you need to walk in covenant. We have a covenant together. And you're the bride of Christ. And marriage is a type and shadow of the church. So you have a covenant with your spouse. But we have a covenant with God. And that's why, too, I, I don't just stay away from, oh, illicit relationships and things that could go into sexual things. No, it's not just that. But in the world, in the church, in my role as, 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 as a part of the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, I'm not going to let certain things in my life as a follower of Jesus that are going to jeopardize my commitment, my consecration, and my purity to him. And we see this established in Genesis. When he designs marriage, we think it's just like, oh, yeah, the guy was lonely, gave her a woman that got married, had kids, and wow. Then they sinned together. Oh, move it. No, no, no. This was a design of this is my plan for my humanity. This is a plan for the church. It's a reflection. Everything is a reflection. Our marital relationship is a reflection of our relationship to, to Jesus. And the saddest thing about all this is it happened right inside the place that was supposed to be their home. It happened right inside the place where they lived in the garden. 
I once preached a message about a man that was bitten by a snake in his own house. And that happens regularly, and even, even in the realm of pornography. You bring that junk in your house. And you can literally get bit by the snake right inside your own home. And like we talked about Sunday, don't expect that you're going to deal with things that you don't conquer. They're going to revisit your children and grandchildren. So we have to say, enough's enough. The snake doesn't get to stay in my house. Adam was the one who named that animals. There's the animals. There's no way he doesn't know that the snake was shrewd and cunning. So if you have a wild snake in your house, you just let that thing hang out. I mean, like right now, if, if your child said, Dad, Mom, I saw a snake under my bed. Would you just be like, well, good night. I hope it doesn't bite you. <laughs> Some of you'd walk in and be like, I'll grab it. Some of you'd come in with a 20-gauge shotgun. And some of you would just grab the kids and head out and call the exterminator. I'm not going to tell you which one I am. I will say I have a phone, and I do have a 20-gauge shotgun, so depends on how I'm feeling that night. Certainly not going to be the one grabbing it. Don't leave things in your home today that could have devastating results tomorrow. We're all sinners. We all mess up. But I just feel like maybe online, maybe here today, there's people who are just, you're living in sin. You're, you're, you've somehow just accepted it. God's not giving me a face, a name, because that doesn't matter. He loves us, and that's why he's having me speak this. It's not my nose. But you just kind of accepted it. And God is like saying right now, what are you, why are you hanging around that tree? It's going to destroy you. It's going to destroy your kids. You know, Cain and Abel never got to walk in the garden with Adam and Eve and God. They robbed their children of one of the most amazing spiritual experiences because they fed their flesh. And so their children never got to experience an incredible intimacy with the Creator. To not feed my flesh so much that I rob one of my three children of an incredible experience with the creator. Because I hung around the tree too long. Because Genesis 3, when the cool evening breezes blew, we came walking. And God put trees in the garden as an environment to enjoy 
And if you remember in previous weeks, I said God planted the garden. He didn't have to do that. But he wanted his people in this beautiful environment. But now the very things that God had blessed them with were now the things they were trying to hide behind. thing that he blessed them with was now the thing that they were trying to hide behind. Please hear me. Man or woman of God, you may have talents and abilities and you may even have a beautiful and powerful ministry. But when things are not right in your heart and in your mind, we can get to the place where we can hide behind the very things that God has called us to do and blessed us with. Sometimes we can even hide behind our money and our titles and even ministry itself. But God's calling someone to get out from behind the tree and don't hide behind the blessing that he gave you in the first place. It's time to come out from behind the tree and to lay some things down at an altar. For Adam, even when he came out from behind the tree, he blamed his wife. Then his wife came out and she blamed the serpent. And even right now, if there's something in your life online or here today, you're tempted to say, well, yeah, but this isn't that big of a deal. Yeah, but, you know, I wouldn't have done it if this, but then that person, yeah, but I'm working on getting out of it. And we can come up with all the excuses that we want in the book, but God's calling someone right now. And he's calling you to bring some things to come out from behind that tree and say, God, imagine I have sinned. And I have messed up and I broke covenant. And I want to say, I am so sorry. I want this restored, God. I, 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 I apologize. I, I come to you in a repentant heart. And if you're living in sin, get rid of the snake that's in the house. What is the thing that's causing you to fall and make mistakes and you feel guilty when you do it or view it or whatever? Why is it still there? Why did she stand talking to this most cunning animal in the garden. Why did she not say, you are stupid and you're not going to get me. Get off the tree. I'm out of here. Why did Adam not say, God, you gave me the command, honey, sweetheart, step back. God called me to be a leader in this home. We 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 ain't messing with the serpent, babe. Oh, but why God put the tree there in the first place? Because he gave us the power of choice. Without the tree there, there is no choice. And as I close, the world's evil does not come from a defect in creation. It comes because of human rebellion. And since that first rebellion, humans have alienated. They've been alienated from the creator. And sin separates us from God. And that alienation results in shame and fractured relationships with God himself, with other humans, even even death itself. And some of you today, if this is you and you're saying, I, I have sin in my heart, sin in my mind, I've done this, I'm living in sin, you can, you can respond when you can walk and say, see, I'm never going to be good enough. You, you take that guilt, that shame with you, and you leave and you don't do anything about it. 
God's not having me say these things because he wants you to feel guilty and shameful. He wants you to repent. He's calling you saying, I have grace. I have mercy. Just come. Just bring it to me. So right now you have a choice. You can get up and walk out with guilt and shame and talk about the church, this, the church, that. And, you know, or you can say, God, you're right. I'm, I'm living in sin. I'm sorry. Get me to an altar. God, please forgive me. Genesis 3.23, it says, the Lord banished from the Garden of Eden. He sent Adam out to cultivate the ground after sending them out. The Lord stationed a mighty cherubim to the east of the Garden of Eden. He placed a flaming sword that flashed back and forth to guard the, the way to the tree of life. They never were able to go back in that garden. They, we don't ever read about God just walking and talking with them anymore. And at this point, humanity needed something because we never again would be in the presence of God. Could you imagine anybody here sinned at least once? Four of us have. The rest of you guys are amazing. So I'm just going to talk to those four people. One time. The wages of sin are death. New Testament establishes what he established way back in the Genesis creation principle. It's going to cause death. Paul says the same thing. Wages of sin are death. But the gift, the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. But it says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's all. Even the ones that didn't raise your hand. You're a sinner. Welcome to the club. And now you sinned again because you didn't raise your hand. You lied. So we're hopeless. I mean, like, back then, they're kicked out of the garden. They're not in the presence of God. Humanity now is just, that's it. We needed reconciliation. And Paul writes about in 2 Corinthians, he says, for God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. No longer counting people's sins against them. Guys, if that doesn't make you happy, there's nothing else I'm going to say in the next two years of preaching that's going to make you happy. I mean, that literally says, he, you're, the scripture says, you're all a sinner. We're all sinners. All have sinned. Come short of the glory of God. Wages of sin are death. We have no hope. Without a passage like this where it says, yeah, but he reconciled the world to himself, no longer counting your sin against you. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So when I preach this, it's called conviction. God's calling you to change. If you're living in sin, it's not condemnation. You're lost, get out. You could never get back to God's presence. Because of what he did, conviction says, I can't keep living like this. I want to change. But humanity, since the beginning of time, another creation principle is, I want to make excuses. Well, it's the wife you gave me. It's the husband you gave me. Well, it's the kids you gave me. It's the serpent. It's my job. It's my boss. It's the church. It's my circumstance. It's the lack of finances. I don't have much of an education. I've been working a lot. We can come up with all we want. But at the end of the day, you're the only one who lets sin in your heart and mind. And so if it's there, God's saying, get out from behind the tree. Get up here. Talk to me. I already reconciled. I'm not counting your sins against you, but you, get, you better put them on the cross. 
And so he has this plan that says, you know what? I want to be in relationship with him. When I created this world, I walked in the garden. I just can't even fathom just, like, to me, just, just seeing God just walking me like, yeah, man, God, is, that's awesome. Yeah, how was your day? Well, it's good. It's been raining a lot. I guess we need it for these trees, right? Yeah. Just, back then, it was just a mist that came up from the earth. So that was awesome. It was like an in-ground sprinkler system. And I just... I just can't imagine you just just walking and then and then oh sorry the kids are kids are being kids are being obnoxious they're being loud and God just says no 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 come here guys how are you guys give give God a big hug I mean like I just I just get this incredible picture of of what God was and He had this perfect environment and there was no sorrow there was no dying people were walking around naked and it wasn't shameful I mean that sounds kind of crazy but He has this environment that He creates and He. And he makes all this what he deemed as perfect. But then sin just messed it all up. The devil thought he had won so many times. Adam and Eve sinned. Ha! Jesus was crucified. Ha! Killed the first century church of lions and beheaded him. Ha! But then God took on flesh. And he died on a cross and he says... Now, I had a plan in the beginning of walking with my people, and I'm going to restore that plan. John 14, he says, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Why? So that where I am, you can be also. It's always been the plan. It's never changed. It's always been the plan. He planted a garden. He prepared it for us. We can learn all kinds of principles about today's living from the book of Genesis. Humanity messed it up, but the beauty now is you don't have to have a flaming fire and a sword blocking your way to the presence of God. It's wide open. He paid the price to get rid of that, and you right now can make a choice to continue to live in sin or to find a place to pray right now and to say, I'm not hiding behind trees anymore. God, I'm bringing you my sin. I want my children to experience this. I want my grandchildren to experience this. God, I want to walk with you. I want to have you talk to me. I just, I just invite you right now to find a place, somewhere to pray, to come out from behind the tree, to take care of the things that God's calling you to take care of, to, to not try and hide them, to not try and cover them up, to not be ashamed of those things. Yes, you did it. I did it. Yes, we've sinned. We've done these things. God, please forgive me. Lord, I want to live a life that's holy, sanctified, separated unto you. Jesus, I want to live what, the way you want me to live. I want to set up safeguards. I don't want to hang around the tree when I shouldn't be. I don't want to converse with the shrewdest animal, the enemy, that wants me to question. And, and I don't want to live in the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. God, I want to live in covenant with you. I want to live in, 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 in promise with you and your, your plan for my life, Jesus. Help me. Help me, God.